Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As far as numbers go, threes do sure to tend to pop up a lot, whether it's good or bad, whether it's working for you or it's not. We tend to see and hear that number often. Three's a crowd, or being the third wheel, leaves of three, leave them be. Yeah, that's poison ivy. You want to look out for that stuff. How many coins do you throw in a fountain when in Rome? Three, very nice. Primary colors? Three, very good. Nursery rhymes or songs? Well, we know there's three little piggies. We know that there were three bears, and no one to this day has ever seen just one or two French hens, there is always three French hens. With people, three musketeers, the three amigos, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, maybe even the Sanderson sisters. I could go on forever when it comes to three people. Going out for a good time? There better be three rings at that circus, sir. Also, watching a movie with Pastor Bob, you can't bring one, you gotta bring three. Fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. There were three Matrixes, there were three Lord of the Rings, three Back to the Futures, and only three Indiana Jones. We refuse to acknowledge the fourth one, though we will accept the ride. Now, and of course, unless we forget where we, three, where we see three as an important, powerful, and special place, the B-L-T. Now, if you are still wondering, what should I bring for the snack for the big game? Leave the Buffalo Ranch at home. You don't want that. We don't want wings. Dare I say, we don't even want pizza. Show up with a plate of BLTs. That stuff will get demolished and you will be the Super Bowl MVP. I promise you that. Now, I know we're at church. And maybe you're thinking you probably should have said Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but technically they're one and I didn't want to get into trouble. But I'll tell you what. We have three readings, right? Old Testament, Epistle, and New Testament. Let's look at all three and see what we can pull out. Now, our Old Testament... Get out your bulletins. What are you doing? Bibles, bulletins. Here we go. Now, our Old Testament text comes from the book of Jeremiah, which in your Hebrew text for you, it is the longest of all the prophetic books. In fact, the book of Jeremiah is actually longer than all of the 12 minor prophets combined. And in it, we get this wealth of historical and biographical material on Jeremiah. In fact, the, the prophet basically bears his souls when he is praying. And it's a personal book for sure and for good reason. See, Jeremiah ministered during the turbulent years surrounding the decline of the Assyrian Empire and the rise of Babylon. And he himself would see the destruction of the city and of the temple. And our text today introduces us to the prophet at the moment of his calling. And what stood out to me, if we're going to pull one thing out of our first text, is words. God's words. There is no doubt that God put his words in the mouth of Jeremiah. God's word for Jeremiah was powerful and self-authenticating. It could not be restrained. In fact, at one point in chapter 20, Jeremiah writes this, If I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in the, like a fire in my heart, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He describes God's word as a hammer that smashes the rock, the consuming fire in the straw. And as our text states today, 
The word can be used to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. And God's word gives us meaning, gives us uniqueness, and gives us purpose. You see that part before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Some translations say, before I formed you in the womb, I chose you. And he goes on to say, before you were born, I set you apart to do. How powerful those words are. Doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. It doesn't matter if you don't think you're good enough. Doesn't matter if you've done unspeakable things. Doesn't matter if the world doesn't deem your profession very high. Doesn't matter how many followers you have on social media. What matters here are the words, I chose you. I have set you apart. I will be with you. I have plans for you. You are mine. These are the words of God to Jeremiah and to us. Words that remove fear from our heart and bring peace to our mind, a, a transcending peace. And as you look at this text, I would ask you, what words are you speaking? What words are you speaking and also what words are you hearing? How powerful it is to be able to speak, to be able to speak words to one another. And how very powerful are the words that we tell ourselves, our words, God's words, are very powerful. And our second reading is this letter to the Corinthians from the Apostle Paul, and we watch as the pendulum swings from words to deeds. See, this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is so much more than just a wedding text. It's a, it's a text that needs to be read also with chapter 12 and 14. But one thing is clear here as we read. The word love is meant to be a verb. Paul will go on to say that if you have speaking in angels or prophesying, if you have all mystery and knowledge figured out, if you have faith that can move mountains but have not love, you are nothing. And look at the call for love, to be kind, to not envy or boast, to not be rude, but to be gentle, to not rejoice in, in wrongdoing or sin, but to rejoice when good triumphs, to rejoice in truth. To bear all things, put up with all things, hope in all things, endure in all things. Love never ends and love never fails. And he will even go on to say that hope and faith and love are great, but the greatest is love. Why the greatest is love? Well, does not everything move toward that? towards love as the goal of God. Love will abide when everything else will fade away. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you will see all of those spiritual gifts that are mentioned. Gifts that are given to each of us uniquely, but are supposed to be used to the common good to love one another. The individuality and the uniqueness of the gifts is not the focus. The focus is love. 
I said it before, he said it before, I'll say it again. A faith that can move mountains is nothing without love. Do even consider that for a second. Nothing without love. Hope in the Lord, hope that can be restorative and brings healing and that brings grace and mercy. But when the Lord returns, our hope will be fulfilled, our faith confirmed, but our love, His love, will last for all eternity. And so it's no wonder we put away the childish way of speaking and not doing, of thinking only what's in it for me, of trying to play it safe and hedging our bets. We go all in on love. And nowhere is that seen better than in Jesus. Words, deeds, Jesus. Three. In Luke chapter 4, there is no word held back, no deed held back. Jesus is all in all the time. And if you remember, he went to Nazareth first, and they wanted to stone him. And yet here in Capernaum, we see an entirely different city with an entirely different tale. They want him to stay. They don't want him to leave. And you see it in 32. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Picked up again in 36, in case you missed it, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. Words of authority. This is not that scene in the Gospel of John where the temple guards come bumbling back and saying, nobody's ever spoken the way this man has. This is not just Jesus being charismatic or entertaining or people walking away. I like that one part. That was kind of cool. This is literally saying that his word has authority and power to do what no one else can to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and eventually to forgive sins in the next chapter. When words are connected to Jesus, lives are changed. And we get to live a life that is regularly heard, hearing the word of God. A life that is regularly reading the word of God a life that we get to speak regularly the word of God. Let his word consume you and all of, your authority, all of his authority flood over your life and wash over you. And then it gets to the deeds. Look at it. At sunset, verse 40, the people brought to Jesus all, all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. The touch he gives, laying his hands on each one. The touch, the touch means it's personal. He's not just up there shouting, you get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car. He comes to each one. Each one is known. Each one who God foreknew before they were even born, formed in the womb. Now corrupted and broken because of sin and pain and sickness, get reformed in Jesus Christ. Is it not the same for us? His death 
His resurrection, His salvation is personal for each and every one of us. Each of us baptized and called by our name, given His name. Each of us coming in the line to receive His body, His blood. And if you jump back up, did you catch what the demon called him? The Holy One of God. They used to call the priests the Holy One. And the job of the priests was to separate the unclean from the clean. And what we see in Jesus is that by his words and by his deeds, he removes the demons, he removes the sickness, he forgives the sin, and what is left is the person, and he brings them into the body, regardless of where they were born or what their status is. He brings them in. By his words and by his deeds alone, unclean, clean, sick, healed, lost, found, and dead, brought to life. And then there's that final piece, 42 to 44. They want him to stay. They try to keep him from leaving. But in verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. No, there's no definition for the kingdom of God here in our text or in any of the Gospels. None of the writers bothered to define exactly what it means. They simply show it. It's a little bit like prayer there. There's no definition on what prayer looks is. It's just how it looks, how to do it, and the power of it. Same with the kingdom of God. It's shown because the kingdom of God is where the presence of Jesus is and where his words and his deeds are done. There is the kingdom. And today... Because the kingdom of God has come to us. Because we live in the kingdom of God. Because we participate in it. I say we be like Peter's mother-in-law. Who when Jesus came to her, words and deeds, she got up at once. And got gone. So I'll ask again. Who do we need to bring the word of God to? Who hasn't heard the word that can build up, that can encourage, that can give life in his name, that can give hope? And who needs us to be the hands of Jesus? Who needs the love that God has uniquely brought to each of us to be able to uniquely bring in a way that no one else can to another? And if you're sitting there saying, I need that word, and I need that love, then rejoice. Because the kingdom of God, the presence of Jesus, has come to you as well. And he is with you. Let his word fill you. Let his deeds support you. And rest in his presence, Jesus' words and deeds.